What does the latest research on forgiveness reveal? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Frederick Luskin from the Stanford Center on Conflict and Negotiation in Stanford, California, and author of the books Forgive for Good and Forgive for Love. Dr. Luskin, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. What led to your interest in forgiveness? Part of it was personal and part of it was professional. The the personal piece was I had been hurt and really was just flummoxed by it. I just didn't know what to do. And it wasn't until forgiveness was even anywhere near my radar that I started healing a bit, that many of the other ways that I had dealt with it were just unsuccessful. And When I was getting my Ph.D., I was looking for a dissertation topic and was interested in that interface between spirituality and health. And forgiveness was one of the qualities that intrigued me. And because it had been so difficult for me and seemed so culturally difficult, it seemed like a good place to begin research. Are you comfortable telling us what happened? Just a very close friend did something that really shook me to a core. And we're good friends again, but I had just no skills for how to handle it. And that allowed me to see at this point that so much of it is skill building. It's not necessarily that people are morally suspect or they're stupid. They just haven't been trained in some of these more positive social skills. So when we hear people, many people say it's so hard to forgive, do I hear you saying that's because you don't have the proper skills and tools? I think that's a big part of it. And secondly, people don't practice it. And third, it's not culturally as accessible as resentment. Explain what you mean by that. Well... I mean, if most of us, if we're honest with the people we spend time with, more time is spent criticizing and complaining and arguing with with things in life than it is praising or forgiving it. And so in our daily interaction mix, we tend to have a lot of practice in hearing other people be unforgiving or critical more than we hear them being gracious or forgiving. So your friend calls you up to tell you like how bad their spouse is, but they rarely call you up to say, wow, you wouldn't believe what an unbelievably loving, sweet thing my spouse did. What kind of research has been done in this area? This is one of the growth areas of psychology. I mean, it's, it's a minor area still, but when I started in 1996, I think there were four research studies completed on forgiveness, and now now there's a couple hundred. And like any other field, a lot of them are correlational studies, which look at more forgiveness is related to this and less forgiveness is related to that. My interest is in outcome studies. So if you teach people to be forgiving, what are the effects in different populations? The whole of the outcome studies is that forgiveness education, forgiveness training, forgiveness encouragement helps people have greater physical and emotional health. And that's the bottom line of the research as a whole. How can forgiveness affect our health? I mean, there's a couple of pathways. The, The simplest is simply to realize that unforgiveness is a form of stress. And then, you know, everybody knows the the relationship of stress to health. But 
you know, if you're walking down the street and you're thinking, I don't like my mother or I don't like what my neighbor did, every time you do that, you cause some stress experience in your body. And if it's a, a chronic or a long-standing grudge kind of thing, then people can cause that stress response to happen hundreds of times, thousands of times even. And like anything else, stress affects the weakest organs in the body. Another thing that it does, like any other chronic stress, is it reduces efficacy and health behaviors. So if you feel defeated by an experience in your life, you're less likely to exercise. You're less likely to take care of yourself. You're less likely to eat well. And third, the more that one holds grudges, the, the more of an impact that's going to have on current relationships. And then again, successful relationships can be stress buffering and even happiness enhancing. So th those are three simple pathways by which forgiveness can make a difference in health. Tell us more about your research. Well, we did a very large project about seven, seven, eight years ago called the Stanford Forgiveness Project. That's where it started. And we took about 260 people who had grudges of any kind towards anybody, you know, in any way. And we randomized into treatment and control groups and led them through a six-session, hour-and-a-half forgiveness education process. And that's still the biggest project, and it was able to show that if you got taught how to forgive, on the whole, six weeks later, and then I don't know what the follow-up was at that time, like three months, but the gains held, and people were able to show reductions in stress and anger, and they were able to show increases in optimism and forgiveness and hope and all sorts of things, and that it was very easily done using just a group format and an education. After that, we did a research project showing that it could lower blood pressure in angry hypertensives, that we did some research with people from Northern Ireland who had family members murdered from both sides of the violence. We've done work with financial service advisors who were struggling to forgive the stock market. And our most recent project is we just sent a small group of people into Sierra Leone to work with children and teachers who had been impacted by that violence, and we were able to show that it made a positive difference in the teachers and that they were able to transmit some of this to the students. And the next step for us is to bring more teachers here so we can train them more deeply in these methods. So my effort has been to take a very simple educational process, which is in the book that you said, Forgive for Good, and show that in a wide variety of situations where life can be difficult, this process is helpful. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me is Dr. Frederick Luskin, author of Forgive for Good, discussing the latest research on forgiveness. Dr. Luskin, did your research reveal whether the severity of the offending event affected the ability to forgive? Well, I mean, the short answer is, of course it does, but it's, it's not that simple. At one level, 
one of the biggest differences is the amount of time it takes to process the hurt and to to grieve the wound and the loss. And so for very trivial offenses, the grieving period could be, you know, 15 seconds, 30 seconds a day. For really horrible things like somebody rapes your daughter at gunpoint, it could take a year or two to just get over the shock and the trauma over to even beginning to think about forgiveness. That said, that the forgiveness piece does emerge more slowly and less robustly in in deep offenses, but not necessarily the percentage change. So if you have somebody who's really stuck over something not that important, they might move from, say, 30 to 40, and somebody who's stuck may go from 20 to 30. That's been some of the things. Those are two ways that uh, that I could see that it's not that simple. Of course, the largest answer is yes, it's harder to let go of a tragic loss than it is, say, somebody took $5 from you. Have you been able to identify common threads that weave through people who are able to forgive more easily? There's a little bit of research on that. One is they tend to be older, that older people seem to be more receptive to forgiveness. Two is they tend to be less narcissistic. So it tends to be a little less all about them. Three is they tend to be religious, that religious people tend to be a little more forgiving than non-religious people. And and four is they tend to be a little less what would be called hot reactors, that is, that they don't go ballistic when something happens and their blood pressure spike to, you know, 190 over 140 in, in, a, in a nanosecond. Those would be things that I think the research would say can differentiate people who forgive and don't forgive as easily. How do you teach people to forgive? On my website, learningtoforgive.com, are the nine steps to forgiveness that we use. So that's, that's a very simple response. The more complicated response is we teach people to forgive through guided practice and through group support and group practice. That very rarely do I do this in just individuals. More often than not, it's done in groups of, you know, 15 to 20 people. And the central practice is to give people practice in these exercises on a regular basis. So you're not just lecturing at people, you're asking them to do guided practice. And then slowly they can unfold what the forgiveness experience is like for them. Now, that said, since it's an educational process as much as anything else, you can teach people about forgiveness without going into the most traumatic things in their life. So if somebody's stuck and you want to teach them about forgiveness, you can say, well, you can start by learning how to forgive traffic. Then if you can forgive traffic, you can work on that to extend it through to things that are more difficult. How did you come up with the nine steps? That's a good question. I mean, some of it was made up. Like, like all authors do. You know, you have a good idea and, and you put them together. A lot of it was from working with so many people. Almost none of this is like simply that I developed it. What I did is I took existing ideas and put it together in a novel way. So I had been working as a preventive cardiologist in, in a medical school at, at that time. I was an intern in preventive cardiology. I'm a psychologist, but I was working at Stanford's medical school. There's an intern and then a postdoc and then as a full... But the field was preventive cardiology. And 
part of it was understanding that what worked well to keep one's heart from being too stimulated in negative ways was the same stuff that would help people forgive. So I basically developed a behavioral medicine orientation to forgiveness. So stress management, cognitive reframing is a part of it, guided imagery, telling different stories is a part of it. All of these are pretty normal and straightforward behavioral medicine interventions. I just focus them towards forgiveness. Dr. Luskin, thank you so much for joining us to discuss the latest research on forgiveness. Well, you're very welcome. I'm Susan Dole, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD Library. Thank you for listening.